We're going to move now to God's Word. We've been doing a little series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, the Lord's Prayer is found in its form in Matthew 6, 9 to 15, but we're going to read not that, but Matthew 6 and verses 25 to 34, because the theme tonight is give us this day our daily bread. So we're going to read Matthew 6, and starting at verse 25, let's uh, follow God's Word together. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by wearying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. So I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. I ask, Father, that you would bring to us a sense of what you want us to learn this evening from this word and from this part of your prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts and minds that we may respond to your word through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the Lord's Prayer. And tonight that little phrase of six or seven words, give us this day our daily bread. Seven words, and they're dynamite, because they show something of where our hearts are supposed to be. They show something of where our faith and trust is supposed to be. And we remember that this amazing prayer was given to us by Jesus as a template, a model of how we should pray. And the priority we learned was to start with God our Father, to keep his name holy, Then the priority is to pray for more and more of God's kingdom to be revealed on earth. And so the Lord's Prayer begins with God. And this is what Jesus says. When you want to learn how to pray, don't begin with yourself and your own needs, but turn to me and pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason why I think God helps us or says to us to begin that way with our prayer is this. If we were to begin with ourselves, prayer would degenerate into what we often make it in any case, a mere shopping list of requests that we want God to sort for us. I think sometimes we often bring to God prayer requests as if he was a heavenly grocer. Uh, We'd say, Lord, give us a pound of this and a pound of that, and give us a a bag of this and a bag of blessing from there, uh, until we're all prayed out and there's no room left for us to say, 
Lord, give us more of yourself. You see, I think many Christians are materially affluent but spiritually impoverished because whilst we may have bread to put on the table, we don't have blessing. And isn't it amazing when you listen to the stories of those who are trapped in two-thirds world poverty, how they have so very little, and yet they have blessing. I well remember our uh, former uh, associate from Kenya, Samuel Murugu, Uh, And Samuel and his wife landed in Belfast with uh, a a very young family uh, and really nothing but a a suitcase or so uh, of clothes. Uh, And uh, one of the things that struck me about our African brother and sister was that if you went to visit them in their house, they might have said, oh, so-and-so was in just an hour ago and they gave us a bag of potatoes. Uh, And they would take that bag and give you half of the bag to take home with you. Uh, and there was a sense of generosity of spirit, a sense of dependency upon God that I, I find very uh, challenging in many different ways. We sometimes sing more love, more power, more of you in my life. And that should be our emphasis, I believe, before we ask for daily bread. We can, most of us, have the ability to go to Sainsbury's or Supervalue or Tesco's, other stores are also available. Uh, but we can stock up our larders and our fridges and our freezers and be content with spiritual breadcrumbs. Here's the thing. Last Sunday, I was speaking about Paul saying, I've been crucified with Christ. And the truth is that a disciple of Jesus Christ wants to put Jesus first before family, before friends, before work, before money, before possessions, before even life itself. And that kind of radical discipleship is surely something that we should aspire to. Or do we really actually want to live it out? And when we do that, when we die to self, when we surrender our lives to Jesus and say, here I am, do with me whatsoever you will in life. And, you know, surrender and sacrifice are incredible things. Because if our motive in coming to God with surrender and sacrifice is to say, Lord, here I am, I lay my life on the altar, and I really would like the BMW 5 Series, and I really would like the house of the swimming pool, and I really would, you know, that just doesn't work that way. When you come, I said last uh, Sunday, to be crucified, you don't say to uh, your, your family, I'll be home for tea or I'll meet you in Forestside tomorrow for a coffee. You go out to die. And part of the message of our Christian faith, which is really, I think, quite unpopular today, is that to be a disciple of Jesus means dying to self putting our lives on the altar and saying, God, whether you want to give me riches or whether you want to take all my money away, whether you want to give me good health or whether you want to give me bad health, whatever you want to give me, I am willing and ready because I want for the sake of knowing Christ to die to self that I may live for him and for his glory. And when we begin to have that attitude, God does an astonishing thing. He takes us in from the cold and dark to be his own dear children. Not just dear children, but dearly, unconditionally loved children. He cares for us. He shares his glory with us. 
He tells us that we are heirs of salvation with His precious Son, Jesus Christ, that we will reign and rule in heaven with Christ. And He tells us that our needs become His concerns, that our concerns become His consideration. And He makes our fragile and often fickle lives the object of His grace and of His providence. And then, having told us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, bang, He comes down to earth and says, then you can pray, give us this day our daily bread. And it's as if God is bringing us to the heavens and the glory and the majesty and the power, and then suddenly slap bang down to earth. He says, you know what? If you're a follower of mine, if you want to put me first in life, you can pray, give me, give us this day our daily bread. You see, it's a fact that the God of heaven, the God of glory, and the God in glory is the God of incarnation who has been in our world and knows all about the struggles that we have to earn a daily crust. If you had lived in the first century AD, you would have understood this prayer as a prayer for survival. Then the standard wage for a laborer was a, a small coin, a silver denarius a day, probably for us about a penny or five p a day. There was no safety net of a national health service, no benefit system, there were no trade unions, there were no secure employment contracts. Workers gathered in the town square and employers came into the town square and they took the number that they needed. And if a laborer didn't find work even for a few days, his family could quickly become destitute. So in such circumstances, when Jesus says, and he preached largely to an audience who were poor, when Jesus said, you can pray to your heavenly Father, give us today our daily bread, they would have understood that as a prayer for survival. But God is concerned about the need that we all have to put food on our tables. He is concerned for the need that we have to provide shelter for ourselves and our loved ones. He is not a remote, uncaring God up there somehow, but down here with us, walking with us, encouraging us. And he says that we can ask him for our daily necessities. So here's a number of things I think we can learn from this instruction of Jesus to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Number one, we are to depend on God for everything we need. I've said so often before that when we've got money in the bank and a secure job, it's a different thing to pray, give us this day our daily bread, than if we have no job and no money and no security. And so part of the trick of the Christian life is those of us who are blessed with that kind of security of an income and a home and, and, and all the benefits that the material blessings of our Western society bring to us. Part of the trick is to say these things are almost illusory. They're, they're, they're real and they're in one level because we need food, we need clothes, we need shelter. But in essence, they're not the stuff of life. For what was it the Old Testament said? Man shall not live by bread alone. Now notice it says bread alone. In other words, our daily physical needs, our need for shelter, our need for food is not all there is to life and not everything that we need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. 
Our dependency is upon him. And if we don't know how we'll pay off the mortgage, if we don't know where we will find work, this prayer takes on an altogether deeper meaning, but it's an invitation to express dependency and trust. And those of us who have much, will we learn not to depend on what we have, but to depend upon God? It's an invitation to dependency. Secondly, I think this prayer is an antidote to worry. I know some of us are perhaps worriers by nature, uh, and some of us are worried when we get into a difficult situation we can hardly know or understand how we're going to get out of it. But in the verses we read earlier on from Matthew 6, Jesus has a lot to say about not worrying. He uses examples of birds. He says, if God feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he feed you who are of much greater value than the birds of the air? Look at Matthew 6 and verses 31 and 32 with me, if you would. And Jesus says in those words we read earlier, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows you need them. Uh, And then he goes on to say, Uh, in verse 33, which we'll we'll come to in a moment about seeking first his kingdom. But Jesus says, if you really want to understand what it is to be a follower of mine, when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you will understand that your heavenly Father knows you need food and shelter and clothing. So can we trust him to provide it? It's an antidote to worry. I, I hesitate sometimes. I think as I get older, I, I repeat myself more and more often. And uh, I do pray forgiveness for those who uh, have heard me say this before, perhaps on more than one occasion. But for those of you who are visitors tonight, it'll be new. My father was a man who I believe honored God in the way he lived. It didn't stop him becoming bankrupt. And it didn't stop him taking ill uh, at 52 years of age and dying at 56. Uh, And when he first took ill with cirrhosis of the liver, uh, I was at school. uh, And I had an uncle who said to me, Ken, you're going to have to man up, leave school, get a job, and boom. Uh, That was the end of your aspirations. You need to get out and get a job. But my father wasn't so sure. And I'll never forget the day that uh, we had to put our car in the paper for sale. Uh, 1965 uh, Ford Anglia 3385OZ was the registration. It's like trying to sell a one-year-old Fiesta today. It had average mileage on it. And not one phone call came to offer to buy it. Not one phone call. So we had to keep the car. I remember the day that our telephone was cut off because my parents were told you can't afford a telephone. And the next day it came back on again. It was never cut off again. And I guess we were just at a stage in our family life when my father could have worried himself sick. He had bigger things to worry about. 
And we proved that God provided, because not only did I not have to leave school, I made it to university. I, uh, we, we have witnessed as a family down through the years that God supplies what we need. And there's no point in worrying, because if you worry about it, it'll never happen. Uh, the, the, the need and the provision that you uh, will find that you, you, you want God to provide never happen. Jesus says, do not worry, for the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And it's an antidote to worry. But I believe the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, thirdly, is a prayer for God-given priorities. And this is, the, this is a, a, a text of such enormous importance that I, I wonder how often we run past it, brush it under the carpet or whatever. But verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, I think my father proved that because that was his heart's desire. He had the heart of a worshiper. He had the desire to bring his needs to God. One of my memories, I said the other week, was of him kneeling at his bedside praying. He would kneel with his elbows on the bed and his hands clasped under his chin. I remember it well as a child. It's, it's a lovely image to have of one's father, a man who brought his needs to God. But you see, we're often told this covers not our greeds, but our needs. But the challenge is, will you believe that God will supply what you need? And sometimes churches and mission agencies are restricted in what they can do because many Christians hoard wealth because they're worried about how they will survive if they give it all away to the Lord's work with greater generosity. And it's here that There's a huge, amazing, faith-challenging promise from Jesus that says our Heavenly Father knows what we need and will provide it for us if we get our priorities right and if we put his kingdom first. And so he says, you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And only then can we pray, give us today our daily bread. He says that if we make seeking his kingdom a priority in our lives, then we can pray for our daily bread with the expectation that he will provide what we need. And what does it mean to put his kingdom first, to seek his kingdom? I I believe it means that we seek to live out by kingdom principles. One of the challenges for us as Christians in our society today is that somehow we've got into this terrible bind of separating the sacred from the secular. And the the world that we live in in our 21st century society is doing its very best to perpetuate that myth and to tell us that Christian faith is just an individualized, personalized thing. It's just for church on a Sunday. It's not for work on a Monday. But Jesus would say, if you want to be my follower, a disciple of me, then you've got to work out kingdom principles 24-7 in your work on the Monday morning, in your home during the week, in your social life, and in all that you do, you've got to put my kingdom first. Discipleship is not a Sunday spectator sport. And he says that when we seek to advance God's kingdom through prayer and through mission, through telling out the good news, when we seek to live in obedience to God's word and to his will, then we can pray, give us this day 
our daily bread. You see, our daily bread is not to be our daily worry, even if it is a daily prayer. And here's an aside. I wonder, actually, how often you and I remember to thank God, not just for our bread today, but for yesterday's bread. I'm a terrible one at forgetting to thank God. And I look now back over decades of living, and when I think of all that God has done and all that He has provided, how many times have I sat down and said, God, I thank you for giving me bread yesterday and last month and last year and down through the years. I thank you for providing shelter and accommodation for clothes, for the money to do things, to, to, to uh, not just uh, finance and help God's mission, but to spend on myself and things that are pleasurable and good. How many times do we thank God for what bread he has given us? You see, the danger is that many of us just pray in a crisis. Got a crisis, we need to pray. And sometimes the danger is that when we feel secure, we don't have a sense of needing to trust God and be dependent upon him. Oh, our daily bread is not to be our daily worry, but is to be a daily prayer. Let's pray it to God and thank him for yesterday's bread and trust him for tomorrow's. Fourthly, and we'll rush on here, it's a prayer for others. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, pray, give me my daily bread? He didn't. He said, give us our daily bread is how we should pray. And in a sense, this prayer should lead us both in one sense to outrage and also to action. You see, I believe that God has given enough food on this planet and the world that we live in to feed everyone. You may think me naive in that, but I, I really believe that the world has the capacity to provide food for every single person in the world. Yet every year, 13 million children under the age of five die, mostly from hunger-related causes. More than one in five of the world's population is without adequate food, safe water, basic health care, and primary education. Yet apparently in the West, we throw out about half of the food that we produce. And the problem is not one of a God who does not care, but of a race that does not share. And somebody pointed out in the paper during the week that the world's richest people have 1%, or 99% of the world's wealth is owned by 1% of the world's richest people. May we have a sense of outrage when we see Syrian refugees and unaccompanied children, when we see children dying from the effects of war and the effects of man's inhumanity to man, we should have a sense of outrage when we say, give us this day our daily bread. It's not just a prayer for us, it's for others. And the best way sometimes to pray a prayer is to make sure that we're answering those prayers in God's strength and in God's way. You see, I think we need to take very seriously giving part of our Christian tie to the two-thirds world. It was with that strong sense that I many years ago brought to church committee the idea that we should give at least 1% of our church's income to the two-thirds world, along with what we do at Christmas. 
And I, I make a plea with you, if you don't already, to say that part of your tithe needs to go to helping the two-thirds world who don't have the resources we have, to helping fight human trafficking. So whether it's our Christmas Day morning offering going to Cambodia Hope Organization, whether it's uh, what we give to Tear Fund, we need as part of our Christian discipleship to be a people who give to the poor. And forgive this repetition again, but you see, I have the most expensive painting in my house is one that if you brought to a charity shop might make 20 pounds. hope that's not an insult to the person who painted it. But many, many years ago, a friend of a member of this church offered to paint a picture and didn't want to take any money for it, but said, the condition is this, that you start giving regularly to tear fund. And so quite a number of years ago, instead of giving occasionally when there was a, a crisis or on Christmas Day morning or whatever, we began to give regularly to Tear Fund. It doesn't have to be Tear Fund. It can be any number of organizations. But for decades, giving to the two-thirds world has been part of the spiritual DNA of my life, and I've tried to make it part of the spiritual DNA of the church here, and I believe it is in many senses, but I think it could do more, dare I throw that challenge out, is 1% enough. But I challenge you that if you really want to pray, give us this day our daily bread, it should lead to a sense of outrage for those who do not have, not because God will not or cannot provide, but because the human race will not share. A sense of outrage and a sense of action. Do you remember the Magnificat whenever Mary sang that song of praise to God? Luke chapter 1, 52 and 3, this is what she sang. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. Do we not see the emptiness of those who have lots of money but little humanity. It's a prayer for others. And finally, it's a prayer for contentment. You see, here's the thing. Do you and I really believe that God will not only provide our needs, but also do we believe that if he doesn't provide more than we actually need from day to day, that we will still praise him and still thank him and still trust him? You see, when I go back to my childhood, my father sought to honor God, but he ended up bankrupt, and he ended up ill and died at a young age. But I'll tell you something. He died with a lovely and wonderful faith, with a vision that God had given him of being in heaven, and God saying to him, it's not your time, but there's your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and your family's. And he came out of a nine-day coma, call it hallucination, call it whatever you will, but it gave to him a deep sense that he could trust God for anything and that money was of no use and that material wealth was of no benefit, but that knowing Jesus was everything and he was content. 
And contentment is a huge issue. You know, we always want more than we have. You will know if you know my preaching, I love cars. Uh, and I remember going back to my dad's 1965 Ford Anglia. Do you know what? It was advertised as being a car with special features. Do you know what they were? It had self-canceling indicators. It had a push-button six-channel radio fitted. And it had a heater, a three-speed heater. Uh, and that was the big selling feature of the car, those three things. And so today, if we don't have a car with air conditioning, we really want air conditioning. If we get a car with air conditioning, we really don't want air conditioning, we want climate control. And if we have climate control, we really want dual climate control. And if we get dual climate control, we begin thinking, well, what about quad control for the back of the car? Passengers need some help as well. And then we begin to think about the phone app that can dial up the car before you get into it and can turn the heater on and heat up the seats. And so you get into this nice, warm, cozy environment. It goes on and on and on. Uh, And and I I love the technology. And uh, I, I understand Elon Musk. Uh, said recently, the billionaire Californian uh, inventor, he says within two years he will be able in L.A. to phone up his car in New York and tell the car to come to L.A. to pick him up and he will be able to have his electric car stop at charging stations and automatically charge itself and arrive at his destination. And he thinks it's only two years away. I want a car like that. (laughs) But I can't take it to heaven. I really can't. And the Apostle Paul nailed it so clearly when he said in Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul sometimes was in prison, uh, and uh, there are times in his life, I'm sure, when he really was in need. He he was probably from a very wealthy family. He had the best education, went to the Oxford-Cambridge of its day, uh, and so forth. But he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And you see, I think the Apostle Paul would have been as happy in an old banger as in a Ferrari. I would have liked to have known him in his Ferrari days rather than the old banger days, but that's another story. But I think he would have been content. And then he goes on to say to the Philippians in verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's a prayer from contentment. Give us today our daily bread. May we be satisfied with our daily bread and not always be wanting more. A millionaire was walking down the street in New York, and there was a homeless man sitting on the footpath, and he held out a can. And uh, the millionaire lifted his hand into the can, and he took out the few dollars that were in it and walked home with them. 
And the man that was with him said to him, Why on earth did you do that? What is it that really makes you happy? The next dollar was the reply. That's what makes me happy. That's a prayer for contentment. Don't have the latest gizmos. So what? Don't have as much money as somebody else. So what? Don't have as nice a house as so-and-so. So what? Don't even have a house. So what? It's a prayer for contentment. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a prayer of dependency and thankfulness. It's an antidote to worry. A prayer for God-given priorities. A prayer for others. And a prayer for contentment. Dare you pray it? And will you pray it? Let's pray just as the worship team come back up onto the platform. Father, out of seven words, amazing challenge. And I just ask that as we reflect on what we have heard this evening, that you would help us to know how best to respond to you, how to come to you afresh with that sense of dependency and trust and contentment. And if there's anything that you need to bring to God and to sort out with him, maybe just take a moment or two of quiet to say, God, I want to, it might be give more to the poor. I want to maybe think of my resources and ask about my standard of living and what do I really need? Maybe to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for putting so much dependency upon stuff and things. But if God's been speaking to you, just take an opportunity to come to him and say, Lord, help me to go out from this place determined to change something. Lord, hear our prayers through Jesus Christ. Amen.